Hey, folks. It's a big week for the Supreme Court and the country. The Senate Judiciary Committee is holding confirmation hearings for Supreme Court nominee Judge Ketanji Brown-Jackson. If confirmed, Jackson will be the first Black woman to sit on the court, the first former public defender, and the only current member who has served on the United States Sentencing Commission. In other news, Steve Bannon appeared in court in his contempt of Congress criminal case. And the New York Times reported that the Department of Justice is continuing its investigation into Hunter Biden's tax affairs and international business dealings. Joyce Vance and I discuss all of this and more on the Cafe Insider podcast. Today, we're sharing a clip from the episode with listeners of Stay Tuned. To hear our full conversation and access all other Cafe Insider content, try the membership for just $1 for one month. You can do that at cafe.com slash insider. That's cafe.com slash insider. We look forward to having you as a part of the insider community. Before we talk about the Supreme Court confirmation hearing and a bunch of other things that are, I think, important to discuss, I want to remind everyone we have our first live show in Generations coming up on March 31st. You may already appreciate and know that we have Ben Stiller and we have Gary Kasparov coming to the live show. We have a late edition special guest. Do you know who that is, Joyce? I don't. Our late edition special guest who will be joining us is Lieutenant Colonel Alexander Vindman. Oh, man. You know, I teach on Thursdays, so I can't come up for it. And now I'm even more bitter that I'm going to have to miss out. It should be a great discussion. If you're in New York or you can travel to New York, you can get tickets at cafe.com slash events. And Joyce, I'll tell you all about it. Uh, I hate that I'm going to miss it. I hope I'll hear a lot from our listeners. Maybe some of them will live tweet it for my benefit. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, I won't be because I'll be. I have to say, though, you know, I'm a huge fan of Alexander Vindman's wife, Rachel. It always reminds me of that movie, My Big Fat Greek Wedding, you know, where they say the the. Man is the head of the family, but the woman is the neck. The head can't move without the neck. And you think about all of these strong, smart women who, um, you know, really let people like Alexander Vindman do what they do. It's sort of remarkable sometimes. Yes. Or maybe I just see it that way because I view my own husband in that light. You're the neck? I'm the neck. Hunter Biden is back in the news this week with a New York Times story talking about the investigation that's being conducted in the U.S. Attorney's Office in Delaware, where a federal grand jury is hearing testimony from witnesses. The investigation involves, we're told, possible criminal violations of tax law, foreign law being the FARA Act, and money laundering rules. But you'll recall, of course, Preet, that we don't know for certainty what's going on here because grand jury investigations are conducted in secret. Yes. It seems a little bit odd to me that news of this one is leaking out. You and I have talked in another context about how news of grand jury investigations typically does leak out one direction or another. And in this case, it's in large part because Hunter Biden himself has acknowledged the investigation, but also because apparently witnesses who've been in front of the grand jury have spoken with reporters, which is absolutely fine. Prosecutors can't talk about grand jury, nor can grand jurors, but witnesses and targets are free to discuss. Do you think it's the Justice Department who's leaking it? Because that question comes up. I think absolutely not. Yeah, I agree with that. Well, the reason this has surfaced in the news and it's become a big deal and people are having a field day is you'll recall, perhaps, that a few weeks before the 2020 election, 
there was this seemingly odd story in the New York Post that described a scenario in which Hunter Biden had taken one or more laptops to a Delaware computer repair shop that was run by someone who was legally blind and that there were, you know, certain kinds of communications on the laptop. And a lot of people, particularly supporters of Joe Biden, on the eve of the election, went out of their way to say, this seems very suspicious. This may be a Russian disinformation campaign. I'm sure at the time, Ann Milgram and I expressed skepticism of the truthfulness of this. And we should talk about that for a moment. You know, why people were suspicious of it. Was that in good faith or not? Did people get it wrong intentionally or not? And the reason it's important is in this New York Times article that you just referenced, sort of buried in the 24th or something paragraph. Sort of. Sort of. When the New York <laughs> Times says, uh, is talking about, you know, the evidence that's that's being brought to bear in the Delaware investigation, it's more than just leaks of people speaking. The New York Times writes, people familiar with the investigation said prosecutors had examined emails between Mr. Biden and some other associates about foreign business activity. And then the Times goes on to say, those emails were obtained by the New York Times from a cache of files that appears to have come from a laptop abandoned by Mr. Biden in a Delaware repair shop, end quote. A passing reference to this story from a year and a half earlier that got everyone up in arms and actually got 51 former national security officials to write a letter warning that this might be a Russian disinformation campaign. And conservatives now are in full freakout mode because it appears that there's some truth to the fact of the laptop given to that repair shop. And that's now in the possession of authority. So a couple of questions here. One, is it odd to you that the New York Times actually has the actual emails, that someone gave them the emails? And two, is it right to condemn the folks who expressed suspicion a year and a half ago about the article? Well, second question first. I mean, this had all the hallmarks of just sort of a crazy story, right? Hunter Biden drops off his laptop and information on it just happens to surface and come to light. That's sort of the stuff that, you know, Russian spy movies are made of. So I, I don't have any problem with people who were suspicious about but it. But it turns out to be true. It does turn out at least, at least partially true. I think we don't know the all of the details yet. Uh, this is why I'm often a big fan of letting prosecutors and investigators do their work, right? Of waiting. The idea that there was not some politics going on is obviously absurd. It was on the eve of an election. On the eve of the election four years earlier, there had been Russian interference. It's not crazy to be suspicious, and it's also not crazy in the world of politics for there, in the context of of reasonable suspicion, I'll mention another reason for that suspicion in a moment, to make what amounts to a political statement in support of a candidate that you, you know, hope wins over the other guy, as if if the shoe were on the other foot, the same wouldn't happen. Yeah. So there's a little bit of a richness to this. But the thing that I remember when that New York Post story came out that caused me to be suspicious of it, incorrectly it turns out, and I'll admit that, is that one of the reporters who I know personally, Bruce Golding, who has spent time covering the Southern District of New York when I was in office, reportedly refused to put his name on the article, refused to have his byline there. That, in combination with the timing, the nuttiness of the story, the prior experience we've had with Russian interference, you know, all the height of, you know, panic and anxiety on the eve of an election, combined with someone not wanting to have their name on it 
because of you know concern about the credibility of the source or, or some other reason, I thought, you know, gave rise to suspicion. So it's not crazy to have done that. But the other lesson is, uh, I guess two lessons. One, you know, be careful about what you attack as being outlandish, because sometimes outlandish things are true. And then two, when you're wrong, just admit it. I think that's all fair. And of course, we should point out that the fact that the laptop has has now, at least in the, the mind of the Times, been validated, and that they've got these emails which you asked about, and I think it's entirely possible that witnesses who were shown and asked to review emails could have turned them over to the Times. There are other ways that they could have gotten them as well, but that seems like the likely path forward here. It doesn't necessarily mean that there will be an indictment here, but there is a long-running investigation. The former Trump U.S. attorney in Delaware, who is a career federal prosecutor in the Delaware office, he was around during uh, both Bush and Obama administrations, held leadership positions during those administrations. And, And so this is somebody who knows what he's about. And is, as is so often the issue in this type of a case, there will be questions of intent and whether or not Hunter Biden intended, for instance, to violate the Foreign Agent Registration Act. And these emails that have now surfaced seem to have some bearing on that. But prosecutors will have to flesh that out. They appear to be talking to witnesses who can shed some uh, insight in, into what the intent was going on there. And so I think we'll um, essentially have to wait and see whether an indictment drops at some point. Yeah, look, one can be supportive of Joe Biden, can have been supportive of his election in 2020, can have been antagonistic towards the people who are trying to tear him down, can have supported the impeachment effort against Donald Trump in the first instance over the, the issues with Ukraine, and at the same time, fully be prepared to believe that Hunter Biden you know, was and maybe is a mess and, you know, did not have his affairs in order in in multiple respects and may have violated the law. But I think, you know, Joe Biden is to be commended for retaining the U.S. attorney in Delaware, not politicizing it, staying out of it, let it run its course. And if at the end of the day, Hunter Biden gets charged with something, we'll be able to evaluate the charges. There'll be a, a trial and the case can be challenged by competent counsel zealous counsel, if I can use that phrase anymore. And we'll see. One thing we probably should note is that Hunter Biden did go back and pay what's reported to have been a little bit over a million dollars in tax liability. That's a a step that you'll sometimes see defense lawyers advise their clients to take if they think they're going to be indicted on tax charges. Sometimes that makes judges and defendants a, a little bit more sympathetic towards them. And that's something that you can do without acknowledging criminal guilt, but going ahead and and making that sort of payment resolves the civil issues. Similarly, one option here for DOJ, there doesn't have to be an indictment. They could pursue the FARA, the Foreign Agent Registration Act matter, civilly and have uh, Biden register retroactively as a foreign agent. He's alleged, if you read these stories, to have done some work on behalf of Ukraine. And that might play interesting and a little bit differently in 2022 than it, it would have played earlier. So lots of possibilities for DOJ here. But Preet, I think your point is the correct one. The way we look at these allegations is not through a political lens and whether we like Joe Biden or not. 
The lens here is what are the facts and what's the law? And did Hunter Biden do something that deserves uh, to be dealt with either criminally or civilly? Did he violate the laws of the United States in any way? Before we end, Joyce, can we just go back to this letter for a moment that was signed by people like Jim Clapper, John Brennan, Leon Panetta, Mike Hayden, and others, people for whom I have a lot of respect, some of whom I know personally, If you were asked to sign this letter, would you have? You know, I sign letters more frequently than you do. And at the time, this letter seemed like it was a a good reminder that we shouldn't view on the eve of an election something that has Thanks for listening. To hear the full episode, head to cafe.com slash insider and try out the membership for just $1 for one month. That's cafe.com slash insider. To the many of you who have chosen to join the insider community, Thank you for supporting our work.